It is out. The test is over. Goodness me. Wow. That was a beauty. It is out. And here he goes. This delivery has him using to bowl. On the front foot with Brian Waddle and Jeremy Coney, powered by Newstalk ZB and iHeartRadio. Hello, on the front foot this week, the Black Caps add final touches to the World T20 Championship preparation ahead of their first match. Mid-October and the Plunkett Shield is underway. Feeding champions with a better preparation than last year. I guess you had a birthday this week, Jerry, one of your old mates. Who's that? Ah, the Springers, Lance Cairns. Well, happy yeah. birthday to him. He's older yes, than I am, even though we went uh, we went on our first tour together to Australia in 1973. <laughs> oh goodness me! Well, that makes us mates, Wads. I mean, it does bring you closer. I've got to say, the two young boys on the block with all the hardened Congos and people like that, you know? So, um, yeah, he's been a heck of a good friend to yep. me anyway. So, enjoyed him. Yep. We'll talk about him uh, a little bit later on in uh, the show. Two warm-up matches against stiff opposition for the Black Caps, India and South Africa. That completes the preparation for the Black Caps, who made a rapid retreat from New Zealand after losing the Tri-Series final with still some tinkering to do in their game plan before fronting up to the Aussies. An intense little period of cricket, and, and I guess for us now it's, it's just managing uh, guys, their physical and mental states, I guess, leading into this first game um, on, on Saturday versus Australia. So we'll use the, the two warm-up games in all likelihood to, to play all members of the squad, um, except obviously Daryl right now. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to, I guess, just sharing a little bit, bit of that workload around and just making sure guys are ready for that, that first game. Gary, you said when the side was named, you had a pretty good idea about your first 11 or 12. Do you still have that, or is the fact that uh, Daryl's been injured uh, impact on your, your final selection? Yeah, I, I think Daryl would have been in our, in our first 11, and so um, I think in all likelihood he's, he's, un, he's unlikely to be available for that first game. It's more likely the second game is is what we are targeting at this stage. Um I think the one thing that we haven't done yet is got to Sydney and, and had a look at what the pitch is, the condition of the pitch. It's obviously the first game of the World Cup and the first uh, match that's been played on, on the SCG after the AFL season as well. So we'll just have to, I guess, have a look at those conditions, see what they, what's put in front of us before we make some calls on that final 11. But I mean, in terms of the structure of the side, we've tried to keep reasonably consistent with that through the, through the um, tri-series as well. In terms of where you're at now, slow start to the Tri-Series in the opening game, improved as you went along. Are you satisfied with the progress that you've uh, made and are ready for the cut and thrust of the major part of the tournament? Yeah, look, I mean, I think we were, um, it's fair to say we were a bit rusty in that first game versus uh, Pakistan. And that sometimes comes with with not being together and not playing a match for, for three or four weeks. And um, but we, I, I certainly felt we got better. I, I thought there was some really positive contributions from all players in the, in the squad um, over that period of time. Uh, and, it, and it certainly felt like it was a, a lift in performance as we went on. Um, yes, we didn't win the final versus Pakistan, but it was still a really good game of cricket. It was nice to be placed under that pressure as well. 
Uh, and certainly for us, I think coming into into this World Cup, I mean, playing some some tough and hardened matches like that can only be good for us. And these warm up matches you've got, they're strong opposition. Are they tough and hardened as well in terms of what you want to do? There's no sort of experimentation or anything. It's uh, out and out competition starts here almost? Uh, look, in a way, we're still, I guess, just still managing the workloads of the, the players, the, another two games in, in three days, and with trainings around them as well, um, coming off the back of the tri-series is still just a little bit of management of guys and making sure that physically they're fine, but more just that mental freshness and readiness to go. Um, it's it, it might sound strange, but but I guess the the, the five matches in seven seven days is quite taxing. Um, and so and then you put travel in with it as well. So we'll certainly be taking this week just to yeah manage the resources around. Um, as I said, I think everyone will play some part in these in the next two matches here, bar bar Daryl Mitchell. And finally, for me, uh, there was a time when you would look at scores 160, 170 and think of them as defendable. I don't think that's the case now, is it? You you really have to look bigger than that, don't you? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, that, again, that depends on the, the conditions a little bit as well. I, I think what T20 cricket has certainly done is made um, teams much more comfortable in, in chasing bigger scores. Yeah, you're going to have to bowl very, very well if you are defending the the scores of 150 to 170 now, and that was shown through the last uh, tri-series as well. So, yes, you do need to, I guess, get a really competitive score, but I also really like, I guess, the balance of what we have through our bowling attack as well. We have a really experienced bowling attack, and, and I think there's a lot of faith and a lot of trust in the guys who have done it over a long period of time, and hopefully we can uh, emulate what we did a year ago at, at the at UAE and, and make the finals, but then hopefully go one better this time. I can understand he wants to go one better this time, but I, it may be a little bit tougher getting to that final spot in Australian conditions. Do you imagine they'll be tougher conditions than they faced in UAE, slow and low, Aussie conditions that we play in? Much tougher, aren't they? I think they won't suit us quite as much, Wads. I do fear a little bit for the team, but let's hope that they go well. Yeah, the final, I took a slightly different view. I know Gary Stead was saying it was a great game and that sort of thing. Um, I, I just wondered whether New Zealand could have done a bit better. I, you know, when Williamson was out, Williamson had his best innings, didn't he, of the match in that yes. final. But he was out at 134 for four and there were 25 balls remaining in the game at that point for the New Zealand innings. And New Zealand scored 27 in those 25 balls. The last four overs in a T20 match, that will not beat Australia, I don't think. And it will not beat England for sure. So, I mean, that's only seven and over. Their overall rate in that game was 8.1. Now, that means that the last four death overs were actually slower rate scored than the rest of the of the innings so i i'm not sure whether that's particularly good cricket i mean everyone says pakistan did well at the death but the corollary is that new zealand didn't do a heck of a well i i just thought poor options and and locking into certain shots the other question i had about it was sodi uh, who's a little bit vulnerable and unreliable when the pressure really goes on in that final, he went for eight in his first over, 12 in his second over, 13 in his third over. Why the fourth? Should he have bowled it, I suppose I'm asking. And, and, and I just, I mean, he's an experienced bowler, yes, 
He's, he's, his main job is bowling, but we only used five bowlers in that final, and we'd use six in every other game. I mean, Nisham was there. He's a wee bit insecure as well, as we know, but I don't think he'd have gone for 25. I, I would have thought more 12, because really, didn't you feel Bracewell had won the game for New Zealand? He had got two for 14, and if you think of eight runs and over, that gives every bowler 32 runs to play with, being eight fours, if you like, for their four overs. And I just, I just think we should really have done a little bit better in that game. Yeah. This week on the Parenting Hangover, we have a very special guest, Hamish Blake of Hamish and Andy fame of the podcast, How Other Dads Dad is our guest on the podcast. He's like a dad that I definitely idolise. I'm really excited for this. Here I am freaking out about what we're going to talk about. And then we both just agreed like a minute before it started, just banter to him like he's a regular dad. And that's what we did. And he's just a legendary dad. So I'm, I'm stoked for you guys to hear this one. The Parenting Hangover with Clinton Jordan. New episodes every Thursday on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, Bracewell is becoming an important attacking weapon. He's being bold at the top of the order. And I can understand uh, that what Stead says about giving everybody uh, a run through and, and everybody taking their, uh, their chances uh, that are available to them. I just wonder, without Mitchell in those games and the early games of the World T20, whether he's going to be included on the bowling rotation as well because they're going to have to leave the captain with options so that he can make a swift change from one player to another and not get locked into uh, one certain individual because he's been a key part of your bowling lineup. Yeah, well, we need, we've got an attack. I think that, I mean, a bolt apart is is going to have to be played very flexibly right throughout the the 20 overs one over here one over there change it around without and trying to avoid the matchups that they talk about today so i have a few concerns their warm up game uh, it was at the allen border field wasn't it at brisbane that's right i did notice actually england played the same day against pakistan and beat them very comfortably but they didn't have Baba playing or Rizwan, but they played at the Gabba. Now, we're playing England at the Gabba during the tournament, and I just sort of, as a little sort of, it's not a moan, just a question, does that give England a bit of an advantage I that they've played on the same ground already? But, Wads, that, that game, that warm-up, I mean... There's no other word for it. It was just a pasting, wasn't it? Well, they should be uh, looking to try and be a little bit more authoritative in, in their games rather than on that one. It was almost, you know, we're, we're using everybody in the squad and it's a, it's a bit of a belt around, but they were given a hammering. And you're at the stage of the preparation now where you want to be a little more convincing, surely, don't you? Absolutely. To get 98 and then be beaten by nine wickets with eight and a half overs to go. That's not a warm-up, Wads. That's a cool-down. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, that, there's no confidence building there, I think, for the batsman. Uh, 98's a very quiet dressing room. Uh, it's more of an individual's total sometimes nowadays uh, or a partnership. It's not a team total. Yeah. Um, no batsman got 25 balls out in the middle. No one got 30. The top six were all out in 73 balls, so that's 12 overs. So the, 
the bottom order had far, you know, eight to go and they only lasted five. And I'm afraid the bowling, 11 overs, only one wicket. Um, and South Africa used eight bowlers in that game and six of them got wickets. So it, it's a bit of a concern, really, I think. Ferguson got three overs. They will give him a tick for getting through. But once again, he went for 12s. And, and you do look back to some of the games and say, look, I don't think that'll worry Australia, uh, you know, in those ODIs, nine overs for 60 and 10 overs for 56. And you go back to the West Indies, 10 overs for 80. He's actually been, you know, hit quite recently in games, hasn't he? So that's a bit of a concern, I think. Yes, and they've got Milne there in the, the squad as well, and so he is going to provide that other uh, extra pace option for them. And and it does leave you worrying a little bit about, you know, Australia first up, then Afghanistan. They've got England a little bit further down the track. How are they going to front up against the qualifiers? Surely we can't, got to believe that whoever qualifies, and that's up in the air at the moment, we should be able to beat them. We have beaten uh, half the teams in recent times. Uh, is it is it going to rely on uh, the uh, the two qualifiers and Afghanistan? And you're going to have to have one more win, basically, to assure a place further on in the championship, aren't you? That's right. Um, yeah, I think that, um, I mean, already there's been some quite interesting results, haven't there, uh, from those qualifying matches. I mean, um, Namibia beating Sri Lanka in the very first match was, and, and not just beating them, they thrashed them, didn't they? Yep. An interesting match uh, in Group B because Scotland uh, put the West Indies to the sword in the first game. The West Indies plays Zimbabwe. Now, that won't be quite such an easy match. And if they'd lose to Zimbabwe, of course, that would mean they'd be out of the tournament. And for a team that is offered quite a lot in the World Cup and uh, the T20, they, of course, they're in a different phase, aren't they? They've lost Gale. They've lost Pollard. Dwayne Bravo's no longer there. He was very important bowler for them. Sunil Narayan is not there. Andre Russell. They've, they've got quite a different side and a lot of experience and a lot of qualities gone. So we'll just have to, well, that, that'll be an interesting result. Yes, so we will know what the outcome of the qualifiers are by next week and we'll be into the competition uh, proper with New Zealand's first game against Australia at the Sydney Cricket Ground. And, well, it's the first major event. They've been playing football there at uh, at Sydney and uh, I'm not sure that it's always one of our favoured grounds to go to. How do you see Sydney? No, I, I think it's one of our worst in Australia. I mean, we won the odd little one-day match there, but we've always struggled otherwise. I mean, it's the second fastest scoring ground uh, in Australia for T20s. Um, it's actually bigger than you think, Wads. It does, you don't get the feeling that, but it's much longer than the MCG, for example, for the straight boundaries. The shortest boundaries are kind of extra cover in mid-wicket. Um, but it's deceptively large. And um, it depends, of course, where the pitch is on the block. Um, and uh, look, spin, spin does a little bit better than the quick bowlers. Um, but, you know, you, 
it, it's kind of not a pitch you can slog on. You've just got to play decent, decent shots. I, I think it's quite a hard ground to play on, actually. But we, we play two matches there, don't we? We've got Australia to start, and then we play, I think, the winner of that Group A, which is the you know Namibia, Netherlands, Sri Lanka, and the UAE. That, the winner of that group, we play them also at Sydney. Brian Waddle, Jeremy Coney, on the front foot. The new domestic cricket season started this week with the first round of the Plunkett Shield. Twelve months ago, Auckland and the Northern Districts had plans and preparations for the domestic season disrupted by the COVID lockdown and couldn't start their season as the other four sides had, which makes Auckland's success in the Plunkett Shield and the one-day tournament even more noteworthy. Auckland captain Robbie O'Donnell joins on the front foot again and Robbie, life is more normal this year for your team, unlike last year's disruption. Yeah, Brian, uh, that's certainly the case. I think, um, you know, thinking back to this time last year, it was there's a few hurdles to sort of be jumping through. But uh, look, we we look back on the season and obviously it could have gone one or two ways. And um, albeit we probably jam-packed our season into the back half of the summer, Um we certainly started to find a few things that started to click for our group and, and ended up walking away with a bit of, bit of a stellar season. So obviously, look, trying to repeat the dose this year, but yeah, with, in terms of our pre-season, it's, it's been a great opportunity to, to get out and about, a couple of new faces around and, and start to sort of explore what, what makes us tick. Yes, I guess those new faces are always going to come to the fore, particularly with uh, international commitments taking away some of your players. Who have you got that's admitted or in your side this year that wasn't there last year? Uh, well, just a couple new contracts. So Simon Keane, who had played a little bit last year for Auckland and, and actually took the ball and, and ended up taking a hell of a lot of wickets in the Plunkett Shield. Um, so he's he's got his first year contract, which is great to have him around the group. A fellow Takapuna Pirate in Quinn Sunday um, has joined the squad this year and uh, it's just phenomenal to see he's been sort of bashing down the door at, at club level and, and Auckland A level as well as through age groups and representing New Zealand under 19. So those are the first two contracts that, that have sort of, you know, brought a bit of freshness to the group and um, and that's sort of just following on, on a few guys who are sort of in their first, second and, and third years. Yes, there's going to be a lot of development opportunities for some of the players too, isn't there? You've got uh, the likes of uh, Ashok, who's in your squad, Ben Lister, who had um, a chance in India. Of course, you and other of the Auckland squad went to India. How was that in terms of developing for this season? Oh, look, that that was a, an opportunity that, um, yeah, will certainly be in the memory bank for, for a long time. Yeah, pretty special. We, we got to play in some of the best stadiums and, and grounds and facilities throughout India um, and sort of at the back end of their wet season. So albeit it was certainly still very warm, it wasn't the, the hottest it could potentially be. So um, look, it was some certainly com- some seriously competitive cricket. You know, we did get sort of thing or two within the, the white ball scene, but some key learnings to, to take away were just to can continue to back ourselves and develop ways to, to score on slightly different surfaces and, and what that looks like for each individual. But, yeah, touching on the Auckland boys that went, unfortunately, um, Benny Lister had a couple of stellar seasons and, and, and did get a bit crook over there. He actually um, contracted pneumonia, so spent a bit of time in, in hospital and um, he's just sort of finding his feet again and, and making sure he's fully fit for, for a whole other summer back here. But certainly nice to share a changing room with, with three other um, Auckland teammates, that's for sure. 
Yeah, well, Lister's the one that interests me because he's uh, left armour, isn't he? And uh, there's there's plenty of opportunities for left armers now, isn't there? Yeah, and look, um, Benny's got a great attitude towards it all. I, I think, you know, he just wants to keep it as simple as possible, and he, he's been doing a great job for Auckland over the last couple of years. And I think he's just taken his game to a whole other level with with the lengths that he's been bowling and and how accurate he's become. And and he's certainly put his name up sort of um, for higher honours. And and unfortunately, like I said, it touched on, he he didn't get a hell of a lot of opportunity over in India, but he spent a bit of time overseas playing some cricket this winter. And um, yeah, he's looking to just keep keep putting his um, best performance on the board for Auckland. And, And I think he knows that if he just keeps doing that well, then the rest will all take care of itself. But yeah, it's certainly a, a great package to, to watch because it's not, um, you know, the most orthodox left-arm in-swing approach. He actually takes the ball away from the right-hander and um, causes a fair bit of trouble, I must say. Yes, indeed. And, of course, uh, Trent Bolt has been successful and left-armers are making it the world over. So uh, that, that's an important position for uh, a first-class player. How do you approach this season, having won the Plunkett Shield and also the, the one-day competition? Do you approach it as defending your title or going out to win it again? Uh, we certainly got to go out and win it again. I think that's an attitude that um, you know everybody needs to sort of take. And, and we, sort of, we certainly found that last year with, with that sort of mindset, we, we ended up putting in some great performances from numerous people you know, within the team. So, um, yeah, one thing we've touched on is that, you know, obviously – some, some teams will be hunting us and, and that's a great place to be, to be honest. I think there's sort of two scenarios you want to play in as a, as a, as an athlete or a sportsman. And it's one being, being the favorite where everybody's trying to sort of knock you off your perch and, and two being an underdog where you sort of have nothing to lose. So, um, yeah, look, we'd love to have that sort of, um, that mentality this year and, and sort of be up for each and every challenge that comes our way. Yeah, well, everybody likes to knock Auckland off, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it's certainly something we've carried for for a few years. But I mean, look, that's just why we enjoy playing competitive cricket around around the circuit. And um, look, there's everybody's got as good a chance when you come to this stage of a season, depending on who's around and, and what teams look like. But it's just around sort of getting into things as quick as we can and, and not taking too long to to hit our straps. And it's pretty difficult at this time of the year with changing weather conditions and the fact that uh, pitches and, and grounds may be a little more damp. Uh, conditions pretty good in Auckland at the moment for not only the preparation you've had, but also first round matches at home? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it has been good. I mean, a, a couple of weeks ago, it's certainly had its fair share of rain as well. But um, look, there's one thing we know up here in Auckland that we certainly feel like we've got the best ground staff around the country and, and they've got an ability to to get great four-day wickets up and running, um, you know, with, with sort of minimal amount of preparation. So, yeah, we're really excited to have our, our first two games at home um, against, first of all, Otago next week and, and then CD the following weekend. So, yeah, we, we can't wait to, to get back out of Eden Park and, and sort of, um, yeah, start, start the season off on the right foot playing a, a positive brand of cricket. Thanks very much for uh, your time and, uh, like, all top-level cricketers. We wish you all the very best. Thank you, Brian. Really appreciate it. Robbie O'Donnell didn't enjoy the first day of uh, the competition, I guess, with his side struggling with the bat, but they're going to be a side to watch. Middle of October, Jeremy, you'd have been playing Plunkett Shield cricket back in the day in the middle of October. You'd have been struggling to get on club grounds, wouldn't you, in the middle of October? Yeah, normally Labor Day was was the start in Wellington, wasn't it? Uh, and we yes. perhaps lose 
it was sort of played on the Saturday and the Monday, and um, we'd usually lose one of those days to weather. And, and of course, uh, Plunkett Shield wasn't played until Christmas Day, so you'd struggle off to the ground. It started at midday, actually, and um, so after your trifle and a wee bit of jelly and, and some sherry uh, <laughs> <laughs> shaking around in your around stomach. in your tummy. Yeah, um, you'd start the Plunkett Shield, and you just had those five games. So um, it was it was to think in the middle of October. I can't believe it, to be honest. But there we are. We've been pushed to the margins, of course, and it's the white ball game that dominates over the better periods and when the pitches are in better condition. Yeah, nothing much to say about uh, the Plunkett Shield just at the moment until the the sides get uh, three or four rounds under their belt. But I think the interesting thing from my point of view is looking to see at the development of some of the players who went on the A Tour. Lister, the bowler from uh, Auckland, uh, Salir, Robbie O'Donnell himself was there, of course, a tough uh, assignment for him as co-captain with Tom Bruce. There's the Northern Districts uh, players who are going to be interesting to watch. Fisher, the pace bowler, they tell me he's pretty, uh, pretty swift. And Joe Carter, of course, who was the batsman of that competition. But I got a different impression there from uh, Robbie O'Donnell, how difficult it was, you know, uh, Lister getting a pneumonia while he was over there and spending some time in hospital. The last game they had 10 fit players and they had to press the one who was least injured, Dane Cleaver, into play in that one-day game. So it's a pretty tough assignment uh, for players, some of them on their first overseas tour. Well, India, India is, and it can be. Um, while the, the hotels have improved a little bit, I'm not sure where those uh, players were, pl- you know, staying. They they have played on the better grounds, didn't they? But yes, it's it's off the field and it's viral things and it's the food and so on. So, yeah, I can understand things weren't easy, but you do get up and you and they had a few good results. You mentioned Dane Cleaver there. I think he got a 70 or an 80 getting out of bed, didn't he, mm-hmm. the next day? So, yeah, we'll wait and see. On the Front Foot with Waddle and Coney. Time to remember a great moment in New Zealand cricket. And the one that I remember is Lance Cairns' sixes in Australia. He just climbed into everybody. And I remember where I was. I was in the studio watching it on TV and listening to the radio commentary with Alan Richards, part of it. Where were you, Jerry? What, what were you doing? <laughs> I was watching it. I'd been dismissed. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I do remember it. I think it's what everybody remembers, don't they? Because it was just it was an extraordinary kind of part of the game. Here he is. He's the dog's going to pick it this time, and he's got all of it, and it's over the fence for six. That would have scored a leg. Ten from two balls. Well, the new over, Rodney Hogg comes back and Kansas hit him, and it's going to be 6-2. It is. Tremendous hit over the long run. Relief from the southern end to ball to Cairns. Senator. Oh, in the air. Simply another six. Back with him square leg over the fence. That was a one-hander. <laughs> that was the most amazing shot I think I have ever seen. Lily comes in and bowls to Cairns again. It's high in the air. Yeah, they, they were exciting moments. And the way he hit the ball, was that was he using that Newbury bat with the 
tapered shoulders and, and, and what have you, because they were clearing the fence by quite some distance, weren't they? Yeah, well, the MCG, of course, the, the straight hit is the shortest boundary, um, so that was sensible, and they were pitching up to him. I mean, we were, the first point was is we were chasing about a 1,000. Um, <laughs> where, uh, if you remember, Richard Hadley wasn't fit and didn't play that match, and another Richard came over, Richard Webb from Otago. He actually bowled okay. And um, we lost wickets and were out of the game quite quickly. And in, in came Kenzie. And he obviously felt there was nothing to lose. Yeah, he had his little club that he used, Excalibur, uh, with the angled sort of shoulders to the bat. And he attacked Lily. He attacked a guy called Rodney Hogg, who was quite quick as well, a right armour. Uh, Jeff Lawson was there, tall bowler, and a guy called Ken McClay, I think. He got hit as well. But uh, he just he just smashed them. And one, one of them was a one-hander that went over fine leg for six uh, as well. So it, it just an amazing little period of play. And I think he got a 50, very quick 50. of must have been 20 balls. So, it, it, I mean, it lifted the whole thing, which it was getting quite depressing. Yeah, and they were some of the moments that uh, Lance Cairns was – uh, capable of achieving at odd times the, the power with which, with which he hit the ball. And uh, we're talking about Kenzie, of course, because um, he's just turned 73 and we're celebrating some of those moments. And and you would have shared, as you mentioned previously, with him in a lot of those moments because your career's coincided and you talked about the value of the friendships you build because you do spend a lot of personal time with players as international cricketers, and and that sort of friendship is the is the thing that the glue really isn't it within any team. Oh yeah, and and he was the hell of a good bloke, Kenzie. Hailed from Picton, they always said Spring Creek, but it was they called him the Creek, didn't they? Quite a lot, yeah. but it was Picton he came from. And there's the little ground as you come into Picton, if you know it at all. Um, and, and honestly, how he must have so many cars leaving Picton um, because the boundaries just wouldn't test him at all. Um, I do remember him bowling a bouncer at Jim Higgs. He was the one that, on the MCG where it was tried right. by the keeper, Wally, Wally Lees, and it was it was uh, no-balled, of course, by the Australian. Um, and Kenzie didn't like losing the wicket, but he was very happy at how he was regarded as dangerous and threatening <laughs> at his pace. Um, I I do remember a time when he was hit in the head. If you you'll remember by Wazzy Macram uh, in Dunedin, he was carried off. That, yeah, and that brought Chats in. Um, and I remember see, we, we both went in to see him, Chats and I, at tea on that day. And he was lying on a table in a darkened room, and he told us that you know you hold him off today, and I'll knock him off tomorrow. Uh, and seeing this was the last day of the game. <laughs> Chats and I knew we were it, you know. And then he went for an MRI later that day on his head. And I asked him the next day, actually, how it had gone, what was the results and what they had found. He said, oh, they found nothing. I said, nothing? 
said, that explains a lot. <laughs> I think that was a headline in the paper at one stage. Brain scan oh. for Cairns found nothing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah. But he, he was a hell of a good player. Uh, what he had, he always did. We forget of the kind of the value he was as a bowler. I think that's easy to forget. You know, he did the hard yards when it was hot and the ball was a bit old and it was into the wind. He was used like a spinner to 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 use all the overs and get through the day, if you could. And when it swung, man, he was in the game. You know, bat pads uh, to the right-handers who pushed out and he'd, he'd get wickets there or he'd get them nicking them out. Um, he had that slower ball. He was always working on his variations. That's seven for 70 he got at Leeds against England, if you remember. got 10 for the match. He got seven against India. I remember he bowled the West Indies out at Christchurch in the first innings. In Sri Lanka, I remember he got five wickets in the game, and he must have had at least five catches dropped. And at Eden Park against Pakistan, I think he got seven as well. So he was a dangerous bowler when the ball moved around. And imagine him at number 10, because that's where he batted, kind of paddles was seven, Richard Hadley, and then braces was eight, Smith was nine, and Cairns would often come in 10 with someone like Troopy or whoever to, to partner Richard Hadley at number 11. So Cairns was the number three. So imagine him in this current side at number 10. I mean, you'd feel a bit better, wouldn't you? I remember he got a 60-odd to have a, a partnership with me, actually, against England at the Basin. Um, and so many times he got 30 when we were chasing a low total. I remember against uh, at Auckland against Australia, we were chasing 100 or something like that, and Jeff Howard would push him up the order, and he would smash 30, you know, and make a difficult score sometimes into something that was very easy. He was a very useful player and, and hell of a good for the game. People used to look forward to him coming out and they'd kind of metaphorically stand up and scratch themselves and itch themselves because they knew what was going to happen uh, with Kenzie facing. So he was very useful for the game generally, I think, at that time too. Yeah, he was certainly an entertainer. A happy birthday to uh, Lance Cairns, 73. Well done, Kenzie. And uh, there's plenty more birthdays to come along. And uh, we can we can celebrate this time next year with another one of his highlights, Jerry. Um, we could probably even talk about how he hit a golf ball. I felt sorry for any golf ball that was ever whacked by him. Uh, you know, that was assault on a, on a little white ball. And uh, <laughs> he just gave it a good hammering. There we go, Kenzie. Happy birthday. Nice to uh, have those memories too of uh, six sixes at the MCG. Well, Jerry, we'll be uh, watching television over the next uh, week or so, and this time next week we'll be able to have a reflection on uh, New Zealand's early matches in the World Test Championship. And uh, uh, for the first time, it's going to be uh, quite interesting across in Australia. Yeah, looking forward to it, actually. Yes, playing, they'd have played Australia and Afghanistan by the time we get together again to chat. Let's hope they've had two victories, or it's certainly at least one, and keep themselves alive in the game and in the tournament. 
Indeed. So join us next week when we go on the front foot. See you, Jerry. For the wonderful days of summer singing.